on the ride home, actually, I had mentioned to my friend that I was going to marry her. And Katie actually was pretending that she was passed out. Finally, I just kind of snapped at work. I came in sobbing, like just something is wrong with my child. I don't know what this is. I confided in my boss, who's a pediatrician. And he's like, I know exactly what this is. Take a girl and a guy, and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate. A dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couples Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couples Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. You know, every day we get to hear intimate details about a couple of celebrations, disappointments, and everyday challenges. We've often wished these stories were shared because we know we are more similar than different. So we've created not only an avenue where you can hear about people's intimate lives, but an atmosphere where people come over to our home pub, pour a drink, and share their stories. People like today's guests, Mitch and Katie, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. Before we get into your story, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? How old are you? What do you do for a living? And how long have you been together? My name is Mitch Kino. Um, I am 34 years old, about to be 35 here in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm a director of product, ma- uh, product management and marketing at a medical device company here in the North Shore. Katie? Um, I'm 33 years old. I'm a lactation consultant, mom of three. Uh, Mitch and I have been together for 12 years now, uh, married for nine. Yeah. Wonderful. And can you tell us the story of how you guys met? Whose side do you want to hear? Both. <laughs> Let's hear both sides. Great. Um, so we met um, my senior year, Katie's junior year. We had both actually... Of college. Yes, of college. Thanks for the clarification. We both just recently got out of fairly long-term relationships previously. And uh, both of our mutual friends that were dating uh, set us up on a true blind date, actually. It was... Um, it was a barn dance, which if, if those listeners who don't know about a barn dance, it's a college fraternity get together where you take a bus uh, out into the middle of nowhere. There may or may not be alcoholic beverages involved. Is there really a barn involved too? There is. There is a barn. And it's a very nice barn because I think that their entire business model is designed to help support these types of parties. Um, a very nice snack lady who passes out checks mix. Yes. So... In any, any, any regard, uh, had a few beverages, uh, spent a decent night together. Um, on, the, on the ride home, actually, um, I had mentioned to my friend that I was going to marry her. And Katie actually was pretending that she was passed out because I think I had indulged a little bit too much. Uh, and at the conclusion of that ride, um, Katie ran off the bus, uh, <laughs> said goodbye, and you know we didn't see each other for about, I don't know, maybe about 90 days. Thereafter, we had a class together. Um, she needed a little bit of help 
writing uh, an essay. Um, I'm not good at writing essays, but I really tried hard to make sure she got a better score <laughs> than she would have writing it herself. And then uh, the rest was history. So, Were you really pretending and p- that you were passed out? I, I, I was pretending I was sleeping on his shoulder on the way home. It was probably one or two in the morning. And I overheard him say, I'm, I'm, this is it. I'm going to marry her. <laughs> this is like five hours after meeting. Yeah. What were you thinking? I mean, he had way too much to drink that night. We did have a great time. I had just gotten out of a relationship, so it was just like a fun night out. And I'm glad he pursued me further a couple months later. Um, and I got to know the, the real side of Mitch. So, <laughs> Why didn't you pursue her sooner? Well, that's a really great question. Not something that I think I've ever spent time thinking about. Um, I probably was just in the exploration mode after a relationship, you know, trying to figure out what my next steps were. Um, the relationship I had wasn't super happy in and didn't have an opportunity, I guess, in college to like have a good time. A lot of, a lot of restrictions, I guess, or conflicts previously. So, um, that, that's probably the main reason I just wanted a little bit of time for myself and let things kind of play out. Why did you say that you were going to marry her? Her smile. Um, (laughs) Super sweet, very kind, passionate, even even within, even within, yeah, I guess a matter of moments, I guess. So we hear that all the time. Yeah, (laughs) there is, I guess there is such a true thing as love at first sight. I mean, we are, we lived that. So how about for you, Katie? He just wasn't like the typical college guy. Like he was always making me like Asian cuisine and always took me out of my comfort zone like let's travel here let's do this let's do that I've never tried this before and it was I was nervous and excited and it was something different all the time and I mean it's still what I love about him to this day you know so so how long did you guys date before you got engaged well, um, that's a complicated story. We could probably have an hour podcast on, on that alone. But um, so we started dating probably late fall of 2008 or seven. And uh, 2007. 2007. Um, I had graduated and to no surprise, I wanted to be off elsewhere. And so I took a job with the Department of Defense on the East Coast uh, while Katie was finishing school. You finished school a semester early um, and then she came out that way to finish her education uh, and become a nurse at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. I was, I had, I was ready to go to St. Louis University. Uh, Mitch flew me out several times to Richmond, Virginia to show me what a great time it was on the East Coast. Wined and dined, probably got himself into some credit card debt. <laughs> True. But I did end up falling in love with you and and the city. And I came home and I'm like, Mom and Dad, I'm moving to Richmond in a couple of weeks. And yeah. then we, uh, I moved out there. The only problem was if you've worked for the government or perhaps um, been, a, been a soldier in, in the military, you know that you don't stay anywhere too long. And so the premise of Katie coming out was quickly overturned by a number of different um, with that, you know, short term stints at various parts in the United States. And so that was challenging. I think um, about three weeks after I got there, he, and it wasn't far, but it still I, was the first time I was away from home. And, uh, and he quickly had, had to leave. So, yeah. 
Wow. So you move out there to be with him and he leaves. Yeah. Yeah. And not by your choice. Not by my choice, but tried to heavily influence where those assignments were. Um, And then the question you asked was, how long did we date before we got married? But um, I think a year after that was when we found out we were pregnant. Yeah. So I was I was uh, based in Aberdeen Proving Grounds, Maryland, which is just north of Baltimore while Katie was at school. So it wasn't a far drive. And obviously, we we're spending weekends together. But um, after we found out we were pregnant. Yeah, again, another long, very complicated story. But um, I should add that was that was the moment it sealed the deal for me. I mean, he was 24. I was 23. And as soon as I told him, he broke down and was like this is the best day of my life like this is so exciting and I just don't know like many 24 year old guys starting out to have that kind of reaction to that kind of news and um like I'll just I've never seen you smile that big you were so excited you know I was so scared and I was excited as well but um you know the timing was off everything was off but he was just so optimistic about it what kind of reaction did you get from family? A mixed disappointment, mm. excitement, um, probably fear for us, you know, being out somewhere that we didn't have the, the help, the guidance, the support. Um, I was still finishing school. Yeah, she was doing clinical hours um, up until the day before, I think, yeah, on honestly. Yeah, on a total artificial heart unit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think your parents were maybe some of the more challenging folks to, to kind of win over. And, um, I don't know that they saw the light or the picture, like the total end game of kind of where we were headed. And so, yeah, that's always fun for parents. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) We just actually went and visited our son. He's in DC. And I always think about, you know, when my parents visited me, what did I want from them? And of course, what you really want from them is for them to say, you got this and you're doing a great job and you know, you'll figure it all out. So I think we've done pretty good at being parents like that to our grown children, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's hard when you see them go through something pretty big like that. Yeah. Something that's not. So you guys aren't married, right? You have, you're not engaged yet either, right? No. No. Okay. And you're in Virginia Mm -hmm. and you have a baby. Yeah. What happens then? Um, you know, I, my, I had a couple professors say, you know, we told you at the beginning of this accelerated program, like the two things you can't do are get married and get pregnant because it's just not possible during this program. And for anyone who knows me, I, that fueled my fire and I finished and I got to walk across the stage with my little baby and, uh, got to have my favorite cheerleaders. And at that point, my dad was head over heels for Graham and, I mean, everyone was. We were all. Yeah. Um, it was a great time. Fortunately, um, due to those good essay skills um, I talked about earlier, I, I wrote a letter to my leadership team and um, you know peers asking to be able to work from home in Virginia, um, which they honored for about six to seven months, uh, mm-hmm. pre pre, uh, pre um, delivery of the baby, um, and then you know they said, well, now it's time to come fulfill your duties at you know the location. And at that time, I think Katie and I both wanted to continue um, expanding our presence in in Richmond, but, you know, didn't have a great network there in terms of helping find opportunities for another career. And so 
Um, whereas looking back home here in the Chicagoland, you know, it was it was many opportunities. And so we, we made the decision that we would come back home for family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I found a job um, in supply chain and uh, moved back and then, you know, started our, our life here back home. So at what point does the engagement and marriage happen? We got engaged. Uh, I was seven months pregnant, six months pregnant, maybe. And um, we just had a quiet, quiet night out. And um, he proposed in some some gardens in in Richmond. And uh, we waited until Graham was one year, almost one year. And what did people think about the news? Oh, they were so excited. Absolutely. So excited. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, you know, from a third party view, it was obviously the right thing to do, but it wasn't just the right thing to do. It's also something that we were both mutually interested in doing. So I I don't think there was any um, question or hesitation. Is there an engagement story? There was a couple times I thought he was going to do it and it never happened. And then uh, I, I mean, I did have a feeling that night he, he was going to propose in that. Yeah. Garden. There was no like airplanes blowing smoke, like asking you to marry me. Or I mean, it was. He got down on a knee and. Yeah. Said I would love nothing more than to spend the rest of my life with you, and I was pretty hormonal with my baby bump. <laughs> and. <laughs> so how does the uh, relationship progress from there? I think it's an interesting um, story because, you know, although we both wanted it. Um, I, I don't know that we were necessarily ready for, for, for marriage and to have a child. Um, you know, we tried to pursue the things that we thought were best, which was, you know, getting a home. Um, Katie, Katie went back to work. Um, you and know, everything you think you should do isn't always what you should do. Like we bought this town home and it wasn't the right fit for us. It was like surrounded by a lot of retired folks and, then I thought I, sh- I took this job um, that was like three 12-hour shifts away from Graham, and I was just really getting the hang of motherhood and enjoying it, and I didn't want to leave, so I quit the day before <laughs> the position started and took some time at home, which was great, and mm-hmm. Mitch was always super supportive, and I think we just kind of like grew up together in our 20s. You know, we... I mean, it was rocky when we came home. Yeah. There was a lot of time you wanted to spend with your friends that you had lost. You know, we just had to figure it out and and grow together. Yeah, I mean, there definitely was friction, I'd say, on the, like the social aspect. For for me feeling like, well, I've been gone for a couple of years. You know, I haven't been with the bros, um, you know, going out downtown. Uh, and so there was def- definitely for me FOMO, you know, they, they're calling, they're texting, and then if you were to make a, a line graph, you would look at the horizontal axis being time, and then whatever the vertical axis is, is that the calls you know stopped coming, I guess, because it was like, can't go, sorry, maybe next time. Yeah, thanks for offering, but, but no. And so I, I, think, I think I was resentful. I don't know that, and I think I, I own a lot of that, quite honestly, because I, I think Katie would have supported me, but... It, wasn't sure, but just didn't feel like that was the right thing to do. So that, that caused, I think, some, some conflict. I think that's a really normal part of, especially becoming parents, 
and your whole life changes, right? And everything, the hanging out and the freedom and traveling and doing whatever, you know, there's another priority now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of couples have a hard time adjusting to that. Mm -hmm. I think Especially after the, guys. The, the move too, like when we were on the East Coast, it was so much easier to just be present with your significant other because we had friends, but they were more mutual friends. And then you come home to your like, where you grew up and went to college and everyone is downtown and no one has kids and everyone's oh. going out and he's, you know, trying to have, you know, a foot in both, both pools. And it was a really hard time. Yeah. I don't think we were successful at all. navigating <laughs> that, if, I, if I could be honest. Um, so. Well, you guys have faced several challenges as parents right? Did, did you guys want to talk about that? Yeah, I think there's a number of stories to be told, but maybe you want to share a little bit about Nathan. Um, yeah, so I mean, we had relatively, I mean, the first few years having our second child, Nathan was, uh, they're all three, we have three children, they're all three years apart. And um, really smooth first couple of years. And um, when he was four and a half mm-hmm. um two years four, ago this yeah two years ago this, this, month, this month um probably next week mm-hmm. two years ago exactly um i was pregnant with our third and he had a series of impetigo i don't know it's a strep infection on your skin so a lot of like wrestlers get it and um kids get it and it very treatable with like an antibiotic ointment and um, I to be honest I was busy working I was busy momming and I probably didn't bring him in as often as I should have in hindsight for it Um, but it was chronic it would come like every couple of months go away come back then he actually had strep throat four times in a row um, the following summer so he was like a little shy of four and a half Mm -hmm. at that point um, was that related, the strep throat? And- uh, well, we think it was like one chronic strep infection over the course mm. of about nine or ten months that just never went away, but it kept popping up in different places. Um, it's almost like... And he yeah. never actually had a sore throat. It was like, Mom, I have the stomach ache, and I would, like he had this terrible breath, and we'd go in, and it would be strep throat. And like the doctors were shocked, and he'd test positive, and we'd go back ten days later, re-swab, still positive went back a third time it was like three different antibiotics still positive finally um i can't remember the antibiotic that did it but got it out of his system we thought we were done with it um i had a lot of morning sickness at the time mitch was travel had a job that was a lot of travel at the time Mm -hmm. um so a a month after things we thought were normal he woke up one day and was just a different child i mean he um had a lot of behavioral regression, bedwetting, tics. Paranoia. Paranoia. OCD. His eyes were glazed. I mean, you would have thought he was possessed. It was at um, our yeah. oldest son's sixth birthday party, and we just, Mitch and I looked at each other like something is very yeah. wrong here. He was just screaming that he couldn't put his shoes on and his socks didn't feel right. and. I mean, it's, it cliche, just, it's cliche to say, but it was a light switch. There was no progression. It was there was no signs. I, I mean, I kept looking back and there was nothing. It was one day things changed. And um, the first three days, I really kept it 
I think we kept it to ourselves and we didn't, was it a parenting mistake? What the heck is going on? Yeah. Is it behavioral? Was it something we did? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, and finally I just kind of snapped at work. I came in sobbing, like just something is wrong with my child. I don't know what this is. I confided in my boss, who's a pediatrician, and he was amazing. He sat with me for an hour and a half while we both had patients waiting, and he's like, we'll figure this, you know, they were canceling them on the spot. He's like, I know exactly what this is, and um, I have only treated a couple other patients with this, but it's something called PANDAS, a pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder associated with strep infection where the strep pandas pandas yes um so there's an antibody that attacks your brain that thinks that there's still strep in the body and it doesn't know how to turn off so it just it was like this hamster wheel that kept going and going and we are so thankful that they treated it so aggressively right off the bat um but What what did they do he was on antibiotics for close to a year, on and off, trialing different ones, and Motrin, a lot of Motrin around the clock. So for, to, yeah, for inflammation in the brain uh, to help prevent and mitigate some of those, uh, t- uh, the autoimmune attacking of the different neurological areas of your brain. I mean, he had moments he was vomiting at the dinner table, gagging, um, weight loss. We had to have an occupational therapist in the house to even put his socks and shoes on to get out the door. I thought of quitting my job. I mean, I was pregnant at the time. It was, it was a pretty dark time. Yeah. How did you guys go through that? Did it put a lot of stress on your relationship? Did it bring you closer? I I would say, I think it made us closer. And the only reason I say this is because when you have an illness such as that, by the way, it's extremely con- controversial diagnosis. In fact, if you were to some ask... Some doctors do not believe in it. If you were to ask 10, I think more than five would say, no, you need to be on antipsychotic medication. So I think what we felt was a lot of eyes peering in, maybe questioning... Lots of what, judgment. What, yep, what we were doing at home. And so I do, I do feel like it brought us closer. And I'm, I'm surprised looking back now at, at how well we managed together. Um, I think mm-hmm. you had quite a bit of anxiety and, and you were very, very concerned as was I. Um, but I, I was always hopeful trying to be grounded, you know, to balance the situation. But I mean, I was up till 3am researching oh my goodness. Yeah. every day for six months, probably yeah. trying to just learn as much as possible because there was just such limited resources and I think at a certain point Mitch let me just get that out of my system but I mean there was nothing I could do it was beyond my control and um, I think you just learned to like there were so many petty things I think we were focusing on before that that like maybe there was a reason this all happened but like you just you you don't have time for that (laughs) is there an estimation of how many how many kids suffer with this quite a few I mean they're talking about kids with um, a lot of tics and behavior disorders later in life that possibly had pandas you know we would never you would never know you know there's a lot of research going on still but um, more more than you'd think 
Is there a way to diagnose it or is it more like you're looking at exactly. all the clinical stuff? And- it's just putting pieces together. Luckily, he had such a strong case that was documented of like repeated positive strep infections where a lot of kids just like maybe it went under the radar. Luckily, I'm a nurse and I was brought him in every single time I thought possibly it was strep, even though there was no sore throat. Um, we're, we're extremely fortunate because Katie works at a pediatric office and has access to eight very smart pediatricians. And oh, by the way, if you need to get into Lurie's or you need to get into a, a, a very high profile facility, we had access to that. And we all often think about how lucky and fortunate we are to have had that access because you read some of these stories and you know, anecdotally you hear about them where there are teenagers, there are adults who have experienced this for much of their life and it remains undiagnosed and untreated. Or if it is treated, it's treated in one of those methods that I talked about previously. It doesn't help. The uh, underlying. Yeah, it doesn't resolve. Just the treats cause. the symptom. Exactly. So. Did you have any um, other doctors tell you it wasn't this? And Oh, yeah. Um, several doctors who, that PANDAS is not an entity. Um, one hospital institution, very highly credible institution, just does not believe in PANDAS in general. Um it has to fall under autoimmune encephalitis, which is, has very similar characteristics, but you're immediately discredited in that feeling. I really do feel like I have some PTSD surrounding it, just really mama bear um, doing the best for your child. But I mean, I can recall a time not, I mean, we've saw probably 30 doctors in, in two years, right? Yeah. From different entities where you would say the word and they would just completely interrupt or you'd see a facial expression where it's like, you're, you're crazy. Like not even going to, not even going to acknowledge that you just said that basically. And, and, you know, I like to compare it to, you know, maybe autism, you know, where it wasn't widely understood. Um, people didn't know how to react. People didn't know how to treat it, deal with it. Um, and, I, I think that this is something that's happening, um, and perhaps there's a wide spectrum of what we're describing today. Sure, um, and the, what as I gain more knowledge about the community, Nathan had a very mild case, mm-hmm. and it was devastating to our family. But um, some of these families, I mean, the kids have suicidal thoughts or are trying to harm their family. Luckily, that was never the case with us. But I mean, it was still, Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't leave the house many times because, sure. you know, was it going to be more of a hassle than anything to get out and get our shoes on? How much of your intuition guided how he got treatment versus listening to, you know, just the doctors that were out there? I mean, I was extremely persistent. I think I just knew something was very wrong. And when you're happy-go-lucky, he was like the middle, classic middle child. Oh my just yeah, bright blue eyes, curly blonde hair, never serious, always fun. And then literally, in, in like a snap, it, it, it was gone. And so it was very clear to us that this was extraordinary, what was going on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know you hear... People talk about be your own advocate, whether you know it's it's for health or at work. I mean, we had to fight every day for someone to acknowledge our story 
um, make a recommendation in the health plan to bring I mean, them I back. think it took a good three months for our parents to even see and understand what was happening. I mean, it was like a weird tornado, you know, it was, um, you really had to be there to understand it. Yeah. And I, I was really sensitive about sharing it. I was extremely sensitive about sharing it with our community and our friends, neighbors, mm-hmm. because I didn't know what they would think. I thought he would be ostracized. I thought me, we might be ostracized. Um, overall, I'd say we have a, a good community. Um, there, there may have been some subtle things at best that happened, but overall, we, we got decent support. Maybe not as much as we probably needed, but um, I guess it could have been a lot worse. But. Yeah. Because those symptoms would be very similar to a trauma or something else, like a big mm-hmm. a big event. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I, I don't know the best way to describe this, but... You know, children and adults, I guess, for that matter, when when they're in a situation outside of their comfort zone, you figure out a way to cope. And so even if he was having problems, we perhaps would be at a friend's house and he would try to hold it together and they'd be like, yeah, I don't see it. I don't know what you're talking about. And at the end of the day, it's like, come by at, you know, 745 in the morning when we're trying to get him to school. And it was at sometimes 30 minutes to an hour just to get him to get his shoes on and convince him that it wasn't raining outside. Like those were specific instances that, and, and I wasn't there a lot. I, I was working, I was traveling. That was your yeah. mom, you and your mom. Like literally you had to be late to work because you were just. We had um, the one time we had gotten a babysitter. He was under the bed, paranoid that the babysitter stole his candy. And he was so certain that she was just the worst person in the world, you yeah. know? and. I remember that it was like the last date we had in six months. <laughs> wow! Um, but he was he was stuck under the bed, just very paranoid. paranoid. Yeah. It, what is the prognosis of this condition? I mean, is he going to kind of suffer with these symptoms for a long period of time? So, I think because he had such aggressive treatment, we saw a lot of improvement over the pandemic to be honest because his immune system had a chance to not be bombarded by other Mm. so as time goes on once you get past the acute strep infection that goes away now every invader like a cold the common cold will trigger a flare and the same symptoms create the same antibody in the brain with mild inflammation so it wasn't like anything it was at the way beginning but I mean, it, you would see maybe 30% of what, yeah, what we had at the most. beginning. Um, so still impacted our family quite a bit. Um, and we, I wasn't satisfied with that answer for sure. Yeah. I wanted to keep finding a solution. But um, he had the first three-month break this summer with no medication, totally happy boy, no yeah. issues in any way. In this last couple of weeks, we had to get back on. Right. But since there, okay. there's no firm diagnoses, you're relying on the parents' um, observation, intuition, which I, th- I mean, then you're basically taking science out of it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, um, if there was a positive strep uh, infection, yeah. that would help lead to treatment. But there are times where, like, how did we not catch that earlier? And then there are also times where it's like, Maybe we're, uh, we're maybe it's not a flare. Maybe it really is just a stressful time. So it, there is no just like relaxing into yeah. parenthood with this situation. I think you're always overanalyzing. Yeah. Are there coping skills that he can learn as he gets older? Or is it so organic that 
it's just going to hijack him sometimes. Some stuff, he, I think a little bit of both. He's done incredibly well finding things. Um, you know, I see him adjust his socks when he's in a flare, and he just, but he figures it out by himself, you know, get everything straight, see him take a deep breath and move on to the next thing. And I'm like, yes, he's, he did it, you know, and there's some awesome milestones we've seen him sure. just work through on his own that we're impressed by. Did the school notice anything? They did, but it took them longer. But um, his fine motor skills, would he would start to become dyslexic and write backwards during the times of a flare. So there were certain things I was able to document, take pictures of that I would put together. And I think that really helped build the case. But a lot of people don't have that luxury to be able to build a case and show their pediatrician on a phone like during a brief 15-minute visit. So I, I always count my blessings that I... Think we're in a very yeah. unique situation but logically <clears throat> we knew he was going through a flare and we would write the teach you know the teacher an email and there would be no corroboration and it's like so then the only way i was able to deduce was what i said previously was he was able to cope um maybe not happily i, I guess unfortunately for you know a five-year-old you know we won't ever know but um i don't know if they didn't believe the diagnosis or they you know i i, I don't know it was it was a very strange time because it also was I was looking for other people to acknowledge and when you know our parents would see it you know it's like okay we're not we're not it did crazy feel like we're not, a little bit of relief when other people would notice it yeah sadly you know this this kind of challenge that you guys have gone through and you know other parents that might be kind of struggling with with a child with special needs that the tendency of that stress could either drive couples together or can drive them apart, right? And especially in, in your case where you're you're actually fighting against the world, right? And mm-hmm. everybody else has got their opinions and their judgment about what is happening in your home. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that I, I just couldn't imagine that, that, that kind of stress that the two of you, you know, are under and still under, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at, at the same moment, we um, were doing testing at the time of his diagnosis. He had a uh, he always had a little left leg inward intoing yeah. and um, a bad gait, I guess. Yeah. So they were looking into something called um, tethered cord syndrome, where um, it's an MRI. It's a pretty simple procedure. Right before he got diagnosed, actually, with pandas. The, ne- the MRI came back negative, and um, my sister at the time, was she, uh, no, she's still my sister, but at, at that <laughs> time, she said, you know, keep pursuing it. I know you're dealing with the pandas, but something's up with his leg, too. So during the treatment of pandas, they took out his tonsils to, like, decrease the risk of contracting strep at all, um, and she's like, push for this MR- brain MRI. Like, I, it just seems weird that their child doesn't usually intow just on one side, I was kind of annoyed with her at the time, but I'm like, all right, let's just do it. So I pushed for it. Um, this That night, w- one of the doctors from my practice came to my house with the results, and I knew I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, why are they at my house? He um, also has this brain disorder called Chiari malformation, which is totally separate yeah. and incidental which, finding. Which is, in layman's terms is your brain 
stem sags slightly less in your spinal cord. Like five millimeters, a a little herniation in your brain. So, so talk about compounding factors because now we found out 30 days after the pandas Mm -hmm. that he had this other condition. And, And now you're talking about two, perhaps separate diagnoses. Are they related? Are, are they not? And so, yeah, things it got crazy. Got crazy. I mean, so the, the some child- of the some of the neurosurgeons thought they just didn't. The ones that don't believe in pandas thought it was all Chiari, so they wanted to go open his brain and fix the Chiari and do this big brain surgery. Um, and luckily, my my boss was just like, you know, just ride ride the ride. This you don't have to do anything right at this moment. Let's try to work on the pandas. Then you can get a more clear picture of which brain disorder disorder <laughs> this this is. And I'm so happy we did because I really think the Chiari was more incidental and he's doing fine with that. What are some of the symptoms of Chiari? Some can be almost similar or identical. To Not as much psychiatric, though. No, Not as neuropsych, but some gait disturbance and joint matured enough, they said, by maybe his teen years. So he could outgrow this. He could. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. I mean, I never thought we'd be where we are today. So, I mean, that alone is amazing. What type of advice would you give to parents who are dealing with something, they're not getting good answers, they're confused, they're scared? What would you say to them? And what resources would you maybe think about offering for them? I mean, reading is um, is a positive and a negative. You know, you could read very quickly on any symptom that you have. You're you're dying right now, um, and you know, obviously, we're again we're fortunate to have the resources we do, the education that Katie has in in the medical field. Um, but I'd go back to being an advocate, and then. I would leverage some of the social media stuff out there, which again can be extremely scary as well. Uh, but I know that Katie exchanged quite a few messages with families um, and mothers who were in same situations that gave guidance, support, um, and empathy. I guess really. Um, so that was helpful. And then um, I, I would just say to talk about it. I mean, I wish, and I'm glad we're here talking about it today, but. I wish we talked about it more and we advocated and we helped, you know, tell our story because I think it's something that more people have experienced than we all want to realize. Are there any official groups or organizations, you know, that are resources for parents out there? The Pandas Network. And there's a lot of Facebook groups. Um, You know, thousands of people are in this group in Illinois alone. Um, And that was a great resource for us. I think... My biggest piece of advice would be finding a balance of being persistent, but also, you know, it's a ride and you just have to go with the ups and downs of it and realize there will be, you know, some relief at some point. And I did not see that. I just, I feel like I, I was in his body at that, that whole time. And I took that burden and it, it, failed the rest of the family I feel like at the time and I if I was able to take a step back I don't think it would have affected everyone as much of the other kids but I mean the the other thing I just wanted to say is you know I know it's a little bit off topic but you know we're also of the age group and maybe the culture today where we we wanted to know like now you know And, and I think these things take time 
and um, it, it helped us find a diagnosis that helped us find treatment but I think it caused I mean I think it caused a lot of you know personal harm in, in the way yeah. that, that we were going through it but um, yeah so you know if if we can get those resources from you guys we'll put them in the show notes absolutely you know for for those out there that may be you know searching and and want some some answers it's it's called aspire a-s-p-i-r-e great awesome yeah yeah so we also know that you're kind of struggling with your other child too, <laughs> right? <laughs> another, so about um, another compound. Uh, <laughs> as we reached our, our best point with Nathan this summer, um, you know, I thought we were like ready to move to a new home, turn a corner, rebuild the life a little. And uh, right as we were closing on our new home, our third child, June, uh, developed a right leg limp. And we and swelling. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean it was wild because you know there was always another event around that time. It's not just they're swelling. Well, oh, she got stung by a bee on her foot the other day. It Coinc- was probably that. Yeah, coincidence <laughs> or non-related. Um, yeah, v- very sad. Very mobile, energetic third child, as you would all expect. Extremely social, uh, trying to keep up with her older brothers. All of a sudden. Uh, was starting to show signs of weakness, unable to bear weight on her on the same leg that she was stung by her bee, and um, and then it would go away by yeah twelve o'clock. Think 1 of her. O'clock. Think of this two-year-old as a nine-year-old woman uh, in in the cold weather. You know, you wake up, you're a little sore, um, and then over time, you maybe get some lubrication, kind of you know, work it a little bit more, and, and, and she becomes herself. So, how do you guys deal with stress? retreat backwards (laughs) no i don't know i mean i just i try to get close to the earth you know as as quickly and as fast as i can and and then also potentially just block it out maybe a little bit and just you know i i I can't i can't change it um i I can't influence her outcome and on the day-to-day moment to moment uh, especially if i'm working um, and just try to stay hopeful, I guess. I think her diagnosis was so much more straightforward and everyone recognized it. And Ooh, it was arthritis? like, this is, Oh, I know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is what the blood work says. This is what, this is what it is. So you got, our, you got right. a socially acceptable. Here's our treatment plan. I was like, Oh, great. And, this and talk, is amazing. Talk about empathy. A lot more empathy. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, we're right. fine. This is, treatable like this is because okay. like there's scientific evidence that exactly. they can yeah. pinpoint it, it's a di- it's a word that everybody knows mm-hmm. when you say pandas you know you think about the zoo or you know i mean so, yeah have- i mean i think some stuff came up for me during during this diagnosis mm-hmm. i'm kind of like why is everyone treating it so different i mean it's terrible we're gonna deal with it she's super strong it's resilient yeah um and it is very sad and heartbreaking but at the same time it's kind of makes you wonder about these other illnesses that don't, you know, just because it fits in a certain category, you get certain treatment or it doesn't seem fair. I hear that a lot when someone has a parent that's at the end of life mm-hmm. and they're leaning on the medical community and the medical community is like, mm-hmm. I don't know. So <laughs> if you have diabetes, talk to the diabetes guy, but if you have, 
you know, a heart problem and, and none of the doctors talk and you really realize how little the medical field actually yes. knows. And mm-hmm. I think we're sort of domesticated to believe that they know everything, mm-hmm. they've got a plan, there's an answer, and there's many less answers than... Absolutely. Yeah. It is an art just as much as a science. And I know that medicine is considered a science, but when you talk to a physician of any um, field, there is uh, something that they need to con- contextualize, they need to consider, and unless it is positive of, yep, this is X or this is Y, there, there is some interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, and lots of schools have thought about what to do with things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think especially if you have children who uh, maybe they're not even of speaking age, you know, where they can really say, this is what's going on with me. The, your intuition's everything. Well, right, because this morning she can't bear weight. And you say, does your knee hurt? No, no, daddy. Like, you know, what, what is she What is she doing? I mean, does she have the skills to understand? I mean, what is she communicating? Does she... I mean, in her case, I think, you know, we just, you have to be her advocate. Yeah. And um, maybe a little even stronger sense because she really can't even say what's hurting yeah. and what's going on. What advice would you guys give to couples who are dealing with a child that's going through something difficult to what they can do to keep themselves strong and able to support their families? Um, one of the doctors gave me some really good advice early on with um, the panda situation was, I mean, would you let a cancer patient get away with, you know, treating you poorly? And I think I, I let the kids get away with a lot during that time. And I realized quickly that did not work out. You know, it just caused a lot more behavior problems, if anything. And muddied the water of what is this illness diagnosis versus what you know what can we do about it and um I think once we you know and even with her arthritis it's like all right we got to get up and moving I know it I know it hurts I know you know we got to we got to run around let's make it fun let's you know whereas I could easily be like okay sweetheart let's watch tv we'll put another movie on like that would I mean part of you wants to do that but I think keep chugging along and staying positive and making the most of it yeah, um, is super important. I, I would also say, and this is not something you'll hear me say very often, but talk about it. You know, even if it's 10 seconds, a minute, an hour, um, it's not something I particularly like to do is talk about things. But, um, <laughs> if you, if you avoid it, uh, it's, it's going to come, it's going to come bite you in, in your rear end. And I, I thought, and I think especially with multiple kids, yeah. I think talking about it with everyone, that way nothing's a surprise. Like they all know she's getting these injections next week. They all know what to expect and yeah. we're going to go get her some little presents and let's all kind of prepare for it versus trying to hide it under the radar, mm-hmm. you know, hiding anything with these kind of diagnoses and ask for help. Like there's already three families that are going to bring us dinner that week. They know it's going to be a more difficult week like they, we would do the same in there and we have mm-hmm. now I think we have given back more sure. because people have reached out to us yeah I think that's really important for you guys to be able to let people know how they can support you 
Because a lot of times people hear something they don't they don't know what to do, mm-hmm. so they take a step back. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say we're more prone as a society to step back mm-hmm. than we are forward. Um, yeah, I won't get into that, but uh, I mean, I, I I've been talking about that for a while, more particularly over the last couple of years and in the pandemic. Yeah, during the pandemic, you've been yeah very I, vocal about that. I have been, yeah, which is great. So you heard it here, folks. Uh, Mitch says, talk about it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag talk about it. No, I don't know if that exists or who owns that. Don't use it. <laughs> How'd you learn that? Yeah. <laughs> so last question. What is it that your partner does that you know they love you? I know Mitch loves me when it's a Sunday morning. He takes all three of them, lets me kind of... Uh, settle into the week with yoga and kind of getting all my once I have the house cleaned I feel like I'm like ready to start the week and he kind of knows that about me now he just kind of does it and it might not be what he wants to do to start his Sunday or start the week it might not even be Sunday it might be Monday morning whatever but get the kids all ready in the car it's just it's kind of this unspoken he's just kind of steps it up through the pandemic and and just all the time mm-hmm. and I I just, I feel really loved when he does that. For me, it's, I guess it's simple. It's um, the strive for, for embetterment, you know, not to be complacent and be better tomorrow than you were today and, uh, and continuing to, you know, work on things and, and want mutual, uh, you know, for us to mutually benefit on how we continue to mature and, and grow up. That's awesome. You know, human beings have been sharing stories since the beginning of time to bond and heal and grow. We hope that by you guys sharing your story, it's enriched your lives and the lives of our listeners. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. I want to thank you so much for joining us on Couple Synergy and for all our listeners for joining us today as well. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as the Couples Weekend Intensive, our premier program called Couple to Couple, look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.